To which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. When was Jesus born? My kids and I were having this discussion last week, and I said I thought that our best scholarship these days put it around 4 AD, and my 13-year-old responded, that's dumb, it should be zero. <laughs> well, of course, it should be zero, but calculating dates is a little trickier when you don't have a cell phone in your pocket. Well, whatever the precise date is of Jesus' birth, Christmas makes this monumental event a grand celebration, and so we rightly celebrate Jesus' birthday on this holy night. But I think our readings tonight tip us off to something a bit odd about Jesus' birthday. It's not just the virgin birth. It isn't just a, a birth in a barn next to an inn. And it isn't just the appearance of the angels to the shepherds walking, watching their fields by night. These indeed are all oddities. But our readings tonight point us to the fact that what we celebrate tonight is actually, in a sense, the second birthday of the little baby laying in a manger. Not that he was turning two years old. What I mean is that Jesus' birth from the womb of the Virgin Mary was the second birth for the Son of God, the eternal word of the Father, who was in the very beginning with God. And this, indeed, is a cause for our celebration. Now, birth, of course, usually connotes a beginning or a start, something that, that wasn't, that suddenly was or is. This is how normal human births are, or, or all animal births, and it's how we talk about an idea being born, for instance. You know, at one point, I, I don't have an idea, and then suddenly the light bulb goes on and an idea is born. But strikingly, none of this applies to Jesus' first birth. Jesus didn't become the Son of God on Christmas night. He had always, eternally, been God's Son. From before the beginning of time, from outside of time and space, from all eternity, the Word whom John speaks about was always coming forth from the Father. And this is what I think we see here in the Gospel of John tonight. John's Gospel opens up here with a, a much more cosmic beginning than the other Gospels do. We don't have here long genealogies like Matthew does. We don't have the concrete narrative that Luke's gospel opens up with. Rather, what we have here is this, this grand cosmic vision of the word who is in the beginning, who was with God and who was God. And that, in a sense, too, is a birth narrative. However, it's a birth narrative that doesn't actually mark a start to life because the word was always with the Father. And this, this timelessness, or this eternity of the Son of God, is what I think the author of Hebrews is getting at when he quotes Psalm 2-7 in our reading tonight. Here the author has God the Father say to the Son, Today I have begotten you. Well, when's God's today? I think today here is not the year zero that my son was looking for. God's today is an eternal today. The Son of God didn't become God's Son at the first Christmas. The Word always was God's Son, eternally born and eternally being born. 
And Hebrews 1 continues in describing this word who is the, who is the Son of God in, in similar terms as John's Gospel does. Both St. John and the author of the letter to the Hebrews describe the Son of God as, as that through whom the world was created. The creation of the universe is an action performed by all three members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But, but there's a, a specific mediating role that the Son performs in creation, according to John and Hebrews. Hebrews even goes on to say that the Son of God continues to sustain all things in existence, not just initial creation, but continuing moment by moment to sustain the entire universe. This is an action of this word who is there from the beginning. And also, like John, the author of Hebrews is keen to ensure that we understand the Son doesn't have any less value or importance than the Father just because he's a son. Rather, the Son, as Hebrews puts it, is the exact imprint of God's very being. He is the reflection of God's glory. And so, too, does John say that the Son's glory is the glory of the only Son of God. And Hebrews 1 goes on attempting to characterize just, just like how lofty a view of the Son of God we ought to have. Someone might say, well, angels are pretty cool, aren't they? You know, they're kind of divine-like beings. Maybe the Son of God is, is like an angel. But the author of Hebrews systematically makes the case that like, as cool as angels are, the Son of God far surpasses any angel. He says in verse 5, To no angel has God ever said, I will be his father and you will be my son. And in fact, verse 6 has God saying, let all of God's angels worship the Son. So both John and Hebrews make this case that the Son of God, the eternal word of the Father, is far superior to angels, is, is responsible for creating and sustaining the universe, and is eternally God from God, light from light, true God from true God, God born from all eternity as the exact imprint of the Father's nature. This word, this eternal Son of God, is marvelous, wondrous, and is as worthy of our worship and praise and awe as God the Father. But then, in, in verse 14 of John 1, we come to this second birth of the word. And this here is St. John's Christmas story, so to speak, when John writes, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This word, who was eternally born the Father, became a human being, like you and me, when he was born of his mother in that barn next to the inn. Here, St. John takes this grand cosmic vision of the eternal word and declares that this word has become a very specific word that God speaks directly to us as one of us. This is the, the clearest, most intimate form of communication that God has ever given to us human beings. Back in Hebrews again, the, the author notes that God has spoken to humanity in, in various ways. We might think that all of creation is God's speaking to us. We might think that God's interactions with the prophets and the patriarchs is a, is a mode of God speaking to us. But in the word made flesh, God's own son, who became the son of Mary, God speaks to us as one of us. I think thinking about 
God's son is already existing prior to his human birth, whatever the date, I don't think should diminish the importance of Christmas. I think just the opposite. The more we meditate on Christ's divinity, his pre-existence, his identity as the word through whom all things were made, this leads us, or at least leads me, to marvel all the more at the little Lord Jesus asleep in the hay. Yeah, this is an ordinary baby, but it's not just an ordinary baby. This is the almighty creator of the world made less mighty by his creation in the world. He who was that through whom the manger is even sustained in existence laid in that very manger. He who's higher than the angels was announced by angels. He who was Mary's creator rested in her arms. And this then I think is the kind of thing the psalmist is so excited about. Do you hear in our psalm today, the eternal war of the Father has become a human being Praise the Lord with a harp, with trumpets, and with horns. The creator of the universe has been joined to a part of the universe. Oh, show yourselves joyful before the Lord, the King. With all of creation, we marvel at the wonder of the incarnation. And the psalmist goes on, Let the sea make a noise and all that is in it. Let the rivers clap their hands and let the hills be joyful. And so we this night join with Christians across time and place, and indeed with all of creation, to celebrate the birth of our Lord this night, to celebrate for these 12 days of Christmas, to celebrate this whole season that the Son of God has come, the eternal word of the Father has come. The word has come to be Emmanuel, come to be God with us. Amen.